Welcome everyone. I'm Jeffrey Goodman, Director of Marketing and Development for the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana. And we're here at 318 Latino Studios for Shreveport Bossier, my city, my community, my home. And I'm thrilled to have today's guest. I told him I may not pronounce his name perfectly, but it's Dr. Guzik. So Dr. Guzik. That sounds great. Thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. I appreciate being here. It's great to be here. Thank you. Well, um, let's get started. So uh, if I get anything wrong, please feel free to correct me. But on January 9th of this year, you became the new chancellor of LSU Health Shreveport. You are a renowned clinician, medical scientist, and health economist. And this community is very fortunate to have you. Even though I grew up here, it has only recently become clear to me how lucky Shreveport Bossier is to have a health science center like LSU Health Shreveport. I believe it is only one of 155 medical schools in the nation accredited by the Liaison Committee on Medical Education, or LCME. I read that two out of every three physicians in Louisiana are LSU alumni and that for every new doctor who joins the workforce in Louisiana, there's an additional $2 million in economic impact on the state. So my first question for you today is, can you talk to me a little bit about the quote unquote virtuous circle? Okay, the virtuous circle. What the virtuous circle represents is the positive feedback loop that occurs between the three missions of the medical center. The three missions are patient care, education, and research. And those three missions um, can work independently, but they work best when they are working interactively. And this goes back to a model of uh, medical education that depends upon the scientific knowledge that one accrues in the first couple of years of medical school traditionally would then inform the clinical uh, practice that one achieves in the last two years of medical school. Um, those two strands of the curriculum have become more intertwined so that clinical practice occurs earlier and the continuation of the basic science model occurs later. It's a bit of a double helix, the two strands of the clinical practice and uh, the basic science are more intertwined. So it's easy to see how the, the basic science and the clinical practice are, are intertwined, but that forms the education and research nexus because to say basic science means that you have basic scientists being on the faculty teaching the basic science, but they also to contribute to knowledge. So it isn't just educating the, uh, this, the next generation of practitioners, but it's also contributing to the scientific knowledge that will uh, be hopefully translated into clinical practice and improve our health. So the virtuous circle is when all of these things create a positive feedback loop. The, the excellence in patient care uh, brings patients into the clinical enterprise. The dollars thrown off by the clinical enterprise support the research. Researchers are drawn into the community because of the availability of scientific positions in which they can grow and they can contribute to the field. And then you attract the best students who want to be part of that whole experience. So when that positive feedback loop turns around, that's what we call it the virtuous circle. 
And when it's functioning well, the virtuous circle grows over many iterations of the positive feedback loop and just grows in size and scope and stature. And that's where the, um, the economic uh, engine part of it that you were referring to, where there's this multiplier effect in the community, where the, 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 the size, scope, and stature, as I mentioned, grows, but it also grows financially. So it not only helps the medical center, but it helps the community as a whole because all of the folks that come in to do research or to practice medicine or to be nurses and other support staff for the faculty uh, uh, live and work in the community and uh, go out and go to restaurants and go to the supermarket and go buy clothing and so on and have a multiplier effect. So, so that's why the virtuous circle depends on the missions, but it has an impact on the community. And it's, 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 it's fundamental to the success of the entire operation. Totally. And when it's working well uh, in an academic health center, you have a, um, a, functionally in a functional integration between the hospital part and the medical school part. And uh, when that happens, it, um, it, makes, uh, it facilitates the functioning of that virtuous circle. And I should mention, as far as academic health centers go, part of the reason that attracted me is that in a pretty, pretty big chunk of geography, we have the only academic health center, really. You have to go uh, west to Dallas to bump into one, or north to Little Rock, or east to Jackson. And we consider our catchment areas going down at least to Alexandria. So if you take that whole swatch, it's about 100,000 square miles and about two, two, two and a half million people. So we consider that our sort of target population. Fascinating. And maybe, even though this wasn't a plain question, we were talking about it off camera, maybe just clarify a little bit um, your position in the entire system and how you work with the Oshner piece and, and just explain to people out there just how it's configured and set up. Sure, sure. So the... LSU Health System, LSUHS, consists of the medical school that we were just discussing, but also a School of Graduate Studies, which are the basic science departments, and also School of Allied Health, which has seven different programs in a variety of allied health professions, you know, including you know, physical therapy, occupational therapy, audiology, and so on, respiratory therapy. Um, so uh, my appointment is as chancellor, so I have oversight over those uh, three colleges, each of which have deans and each of which have faculty and so on. However, uh, the other half of my job is to be the 50% of the partnership between Oxner and LSU that has become the Oxner LSU Health System, or OLHS. And that system, uh, the part that sometimes is not well understood, is not part of LSU and it's not part of Oxner. It's, it's independent. So it has its own board of directors. It has its own balance sheet. It has its own bond rating. And uh, it is legally distinct entity. It is 50%, uh, it's governed 50% by LSU, uh, myself alternating chairs with the CEO of Oxner, and 50% uh, by Oxner meaning that in addition to the alternating uh, chairpersonship, there's uh, half of the board of directors is from LSU and half of the board of directors is appointed by Oxner. So it's that entity, uh, that partnership, that um, 
represents the clinical enterprise in that virtuous circle that I mentioned earlier. Great. And talk to me if you could about some of the current research strengths at LSU Health Report as you as you see them. Well, there's several research strengths. Uh, one would be in cardiovascular biology. One would be in virology and vaccine biology. But there is an emerging strength in uh, what can be called emerging pathogens or viral threats. <clears throat> and uh, it was very prescient, but when the new medical school building, which I hope we can discuss, but it's this $84 million it's one of my questions, brand so new building, yeah. Uh, in addition to medical education, the fourth floor or significant part of the fourth floor of that building is uh, devoted to laboratory space for research. And uh, it's about 12,000 square feet uh, of laboratory space, about 3,000 of which is devoted to what's called Biosafety Laboratory 3, BSL 3 category of research, which is the type of research that one does in investigating these emerging viral threats, because it's a very secure uh, area. And there is tremendous federal funding and Department of Defense funding for this type of work. So uh, we have some strength in that area now, but with the opening of these new labs, which will be in the fall, we hope to recruit faculty, and this would be another uh, area uh, of expertise that for, we could focus for, on. For the layperson out there, um, so can you just maybe um, demystify what an emerging viral threat is? Yeah, so just... coronavirus would be a good example. Uh, what we just uh, lived through, hopefully, you know, thankfully lived through uh, with COVID is an example of an emerging viral threat. So Anything that can produce a pandemic, anything that could be used as, as biological warfare, anything that gets out uh, into, the, into the environment that would be hazardous, um, that you want to contain, you want to understand how to prevent the next pandemic, for example, that's the kind of research we're talking about. Great. And can you talk to me about, you touched on this a little bit, can you talk to me about some of your current priorities and initiatives <clears throat> coming in as a new chancellor? Sure, sure. So we have th uh, three main initiatives that parallel the three missions. So starting with education, um, we have the opening of this new uh, medical school building. Uh, this is uh, an asset for the community. Uh, it has the kinds of things you would expect to find in a medical school building, but we hope to open it up to the community. Uh, there are some uh, lecture-type almost amphitheater-like areas that could really be used for community events. We will have a culinary program that can support those events, and we want to invite folks in the community who may uh, wish to utilize it to take advantage. Um, in addition to medical education, it's called Medical Education and Wellness Building, and so there is a large basketball court uh, that can also be used for volleyball or pickleball or some other things, but it can also be used for events. Overlooking the basketball court is a two-story fitness center, you know, one for aerobics and one for strength training. There's also yoga, there's meditation areas and so on. So um, we wanted to, uh, not we, the, the folks that designed this, uh, and, you know, I was lucky enough to be part of the group now to inherit it and, and to take advantage uh, of all that it has to offer. Um, th those uh, uh, spaces complement the teaching spaces. Now, the 
the teaching spaces will be utilized in a different way because we're using the opening of the building as a reason to transform the curriculum. So I was mentioning earlier about the traditional medical school curriculum, two years of basic science followed by two years of clinical training, and there's a little bit of mix that's going on. Um, we have the opportunity now to really have a major revamp of the curriculum so that, for example, clinical work can begin earlier. And an example of this would be um, there are uh, offices that are set up in most medical schools to teach medical students how to interact with patients before they see real patients. They actually have what they call standardized patients. These are actors who are told to have certain symptoms and signs so that in practice, the medical student can go in and examine the person, ask for the history, and they're supposed to figure out what's going on with them and so on. So there's a set of uh, exam rooms uh, in, in the existing medical school area that now will become vacant because all that space moves into the new building. And so in the second half of the first year and throughout the second year, we're going to uh, have a continuity clinic or a continuation or a transitional clinic where patients discharge from the hospital who don't have a doctor. And a lot of the patients who show up in our emergency room don't have a doctor. They're being taken care of uh, while they're a patient in the hospital, but then they're discharged, but they don't have a doctor. Who are they going to see? So they're going to go to a clinic that is supervised by uh, residents, but also faculty. But the first person that they're going to see in this clinic will be a first-year medical student in the second half of their first year. Um, and that would be an example of a very early introduction to real clinical medicine. And that student will not be making decisions about the patient and so on. It's a supervised situation. But they will have that early exposure. And that's uh, one example. Other differences in the curriculum. Uh, will have to do with the method of uh, teaching. Instead of emphasizing lectures, they're going to have small group learning experiences, peer-to-peer -peer learning, what we call more active learning. So those are some of the educational things. Moving on to the clinical enterprise, um, another uh, tremendous uh, uh, asset that the LSUHS has besides the opening of this amazing building is uh, St. Mary Hospital. St. Mary Hospital uh, uh, is a facility that is underutilized at present, but we feel is the future for LSUHS. The, the, the main hospital on Kings Highway, strategically, should be a place where high acuity care is, occurs. So the trauma program is there, the burn program is there, the stroke center is there, uh, complicated neurosurgical procedures are there, complicated heart surgery procedures are there that require ICU coverage afterwards. But virtually everything else across time can move to St. Mary. St. Mary has great parking. It is more accessible to the community. Uh, it has a lot of unused space, as I mentioned, that we, that we are and can continue to renovate for that purpose. So clinically, um, we want to take advantage of that facility. We've also made a real commitment clinically to uh, ensure that there is really superb hospitality and service. Uh, uh, evidently, the hospital across time has had a reputation of being seen as more of a clinic kind of a place, and more a place where you go if you have a bad injury or if, uh, if you're poor and don't have health insurance and so on. But we want to make sure that the level of hospitality and service there exceeds anything they're going to find anywhere else. 
And that's an important uh, part of what we're trying to achieve as well. And finally, in research, uh, as I mentioned, you know, when the clinical enterprise is working well, it can throw off a financial margin, some of which has to be used to invest in capital, to uh, continue to grow uh, the clinical um, programs that, that look to the future and represent state-of-the-art care, but some of it can be actually uh, transferred to the medical school to, and the graduate school of graduate studies to support uh, research. And uh, that's uh, what we plan to do to take advantage of that so that we can recruit uh, investigators and create that um, positive feedback loop and the uh, multiplier effect in the community I mentioned earlier. So those are the main things that we've been able to do in each of the missions. Perfect. And I may have, um, I guess it's what we're talking about. Okay. So my, my question was, can you talk about some of the things that will take place, which you did, but maybe even expound yeah. upon that. Can you talk about some of the things that will take place in the new Center for Medical Education right. and emerging viral threats due to open later this year? Is right. that correct? It is. So it's due to open. The, the student part will probably open in the August, September range. Uh, the, probably the laboratories won't be till October, November, something in that range. Um, but uh, what will go on there on a day-to-day -day basis, obviously, is uh, education for mainly medical students, but also allied health students and some graduate education. Um, but as I mentioned, it also has uh, this wellness component and also has the laboratory component. And also, as I mentioned, the opportunity for groups uh, uh, in Shreveport who periodically have events and uh, may... Uh, move them around uh, from time to time to just uh, have different sorts of experiences for whatever the folks that they're serving uh, could uh, could you know might, might be interested in, and, and we'll try to open that up to the community as well. And it's incredibly I hadn't been inside, but it's an incredibly impressive building from the outside. And how large is that building approximately? I don't know square feet, but it's a it's eighty four million dollar building. Okay, and it's it, for and, people that don't know, it's it's part of the. The Kings Highway campus, it's sort of set back off it's, of Kings Highway. It's set back, but it, it, at least for the folks on the campus, um, it's uh, very well situated because it allows you to move from one building to the other. Uh, I know apparently in the planning, at one point it was thought it could go across Kings Highway to the other side. But number one, that would isolate the education building from the clinical part. And number two, that would mean having to cross Kings Highway <laughs> Uh, and um, so the decision was made to locate it in the center of the campus. And I think for the actual, uh, to, to deliver the actual missions of education and training and research and so on, it's better that it's close by everything else. And it's going to be landscaped in a way where it creates a bit of an academic quadrangle as well. There'll be a lot of pedestrian space, a lot of plantings and landscaping. Yeah, I can't wait to see yeah, it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really, and it's very, as you mentioned, it's a very contemporary building. Um, the last building that was built there was probably th maybe 30 years ago wow. or something like that. I think the Biomedical Research Institute building was built around 30 years ago. I think that was probably the last building. And it's a, it's a fine building, but it is, in, it, it was more in keeping with the rest of the campus in terms of its architecture. This is a boldly futuristic very contemporary building. I can't wait to <clears throat> yeah. see it uh, up, up, and up close. Um, 
So you were you were born in New York City and and grew up in Brighton Beach, Brooklyn. Brighton if I'm Beach, not mistaken. Brooklyn. That's right. You, you did some good research. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so my next question is a little bit long. So hang in there with okay. me. Um, <laughs> New, new, new people coming to a community, uh, in, in my opinion, are invaluable for so many reasons. Um, chief among those is a fresh set of eyes they bring. Uh, it's hard to define oneself or even one's community because you're so close to the subject. But the newly arrived, because they're viewing things from the outside, can often see more clearly. So with all of that, my question is, what do, what do you see when you look at Shreveport Bossier or, in other words, how do you describe this community to your friends and family who have never been here before? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, it, I, I, it's not Brighton Beach, Brooklyn, I can tell you that. People don't realize uh, when they think about a place like Brooklyn, but there is a beach. <laughs> and I grew up a block and a half from the beach. And wow. we just had fireworks here. And I lived downtown. And you could sit, stand on the roof and watch the fireworks. We used to go to the boardwalk <laughs> in Brighton Beach to see the fireworks, which is in Coney Island, which is one beach over. Um, so it's certainly not Brighton Beach. Um, the New York City in general is more of a true international uh, melting pot than a lot of communities. But I should point out that um, when you go to the hospital, they'll have 24 different languages for translation. So this community is quite a melting pot also. And when you look at the faculty, the faculty have a similar number of uh, languages that, that they speak, and it's, it's 24, 26 different languages. So we have a bit of a melting pot here. Um, I lived in a number of places besides uh, New York City. Um, I went to medical school and graduate school in Manhattan, then residency in Baltimore, fellowship in Dallas, uh, was in Pittsburgh for nine years, was in Rochester, New York uh, for 14 years, uh, and uh, in Florida for uh, 14 years as well. So I've been in a lot of different places. And when I got to Florida, University of Florida is in Gainesville, Florida. It's North Florida, um, very rural, a lot like this. But it's a university town like Baton Rouge, more, like, more than like Shreveport, except it's minus a capital. The capital is in Tallahassee. So it's a true uh, college town. So I thought I was in the South. Here I am in North Florida. North Florida is not South Florida. It's sort of a little like Miami is to North Florida. New Orleans is like to North Louisiana. It's a completely different world. Um, but getting to your point about this community, um, I, I was sort of in the South, but in Louisiana, in Shreveport, I'm in the deeper South. And I would say that the first thing um, that I would comment on to others is that it, the Southern hospitality is is fully appreciated in a very real way, more than you know, just something you'd see about in a movie or you'd read about in a novel. Uh, when when you're actually living living it, so I found everyone here that I've interacted with being very welcoming and showing a lot of southern hospitality. The other thing that really uh, I tell when you ask what I tell friends and family about that's really impressive to me that I didn't expect and didn't know is that this is the first community I've been in that's truly a majority-minority community. And that also shows, I, I live downtown, but you know I, I've been around the city just meeting different people and uh, uh, you know having faculty where we meet at different places to recruit others. Uh, so I've gotten to know it a little bit. My, my, I'll have my six-month anniversary in a couple of days. Um, 
but it truly is more integrated than any of the cities I've mentioned in this majority-minority way. Rochester, New York, Pittsburgh, Gainesville can all elect uh, African-American mayors because there's a large African-American population. Um, but when you live in those cities, um, you don't have a lot of interaction between the, the racial groups. There's one part of the city where you go to the health club, or you go to the restaurant, or you go to the uh, supermarket, and it's pretty homogeneous. And then you go to the other part of the city, and it's equally homogeneous in a different direction. Here, it, it seems that there is truly integration in all, the, all those kinds of places all over Shreveport. And so I find that uh, uh, unexpected, but really impressive, and that everyone seems to get along really well. Uh, so those are the two things that, um, you know, g generally speaking, uh, you know, I comment on. Um, the other is um, living downtown, uh, and I do go to the Y downtown, I'm a member of the Y, but I go to the downtown one because I can get there early in the morning and, and uh, shower and get into work, and it's very convenient. Um, but, you know, clearly... Uh, there is a desire, and hopefully we can help that city, the city achieve that desire to rebuild some of the of the infrastructure and the uh, the different parts of Shreveport that were once one thing and now it's another thing, and we can hopefully uh, resurrect it in a completely new way, like like the downtown area. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> what you're a part of is such a vital piece of this community's success, so. Um, uh, we hope uh, it continues to grow because uh, we're so dependent on it being successful. Those were those were my main overarching questions, but we've got all the time in the world. Is there anything else you want to touch on or talk about or mention? Um, you can the, take this wherever. The, the, as a parting comment, you know, I would just say I'm personally very optimistic about our ability to deliver on those missions that I mentioned. And in that way, uh, we can all be optimistic about Shreveport because I think that when we look at the industries that are supporting uh, this community, you know, the Air Force Base, and you have um, some oil and gas that's left, uh, and you have the casino industry, but then you have healthcare, and you have several healthcare systems. They all perform an important role in the community. Uh, ours, as I mentioned, has an academic flavor to it, uh, and we reach out to a large catchment area as an academic health center. But I'm very optimistic we can uh, serve as part of that economic engine along with those others that I mentioned. So I'm optimistic about, uh, about our ability to deliver on that, and therefore, uh, with the other uh, industries I mentioned and the smaller businesses that support, support everyone who works in those industries, um, we, we can all, I think, be optimistic about Shreveport. Well, as I said at the beginning, uh, based on all of my knowledge and our interaction today, this community is super fortunate to have you. So thanks for being here, and I'm very optimistic. Well, thanks as well. for inviting me. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Anytime.